While you're turning to your Bibles, uh, to the book of uh, Psalms, chapter 51, we're going to tell you a little bit of the background story that led, led up into Psalms 51. I've told it maybe to you before, but it might not be something that's fresh to you. And in the story that we're talking about here, we're talking about, uh, it's uh, David has been, is king of Israel. And David, as king of Israel, he's supposed to be going out. And he's supposed to be going out to battle. That's what kings do in that period of the year, that time of the year. And as he goes out, he doesn't go out. He stays home for whatever reason. And as some of us have, maybe you have times when you can't sleep. I don't know what that was David's condition. He rises up over his bed and he goes, and he's out on the porch and he looks out on the porch and he's, I mean, he's out on his roof and he's looking out over the city. I'm assuming it's a higher place. And as he looks out there, there in the middle of the night is a woman that's bathing. Now, you might say, what is she doing bathing in the middle of the night? Well, she needed to bathe. I don't think they had indoor plumbing and it could be that she was up on the roof of her own house that had kind of the fences around it, thinking in the middle of the night nobody's going to see her. But lo and behold, David is out up on the roof looking around. Can you imagine that? You think you're in your backyard, you're surrounded by fences, and a drone flies over, and they see everything you're doing. But David looks over, and there is Bathsheba, and she's beautiful, and so he should have kind of looked away, but he inquires after her, and eventually he gets her to the palace, and, or to the, wherever he's at, and lo and behold, he commits adultery with her, and then sends her back on her merry way. We don't know if this was consensual, or if, the, if, the, she call, if he called for the, someone to come, the king calls, she just responded. But at any rate, the word comes to David that she's pregnant. So that causes a great problem for David. She, he's committed adultery. Uh, she's, it's, uh, there's a pregnancy here. So he goes through a lots of different activities, and we've talked about that in different messages. Lots of different activities to cover this off, to the point that her husband Uriah, who is actually off doing battle, he basically arranges for Uriah to die in battle. He basically makes it look like an accident, you might say, and has Uriah killed, this husband of Bathsheba. And then David takes her to be his wife. But God's not pleased. There's a lots of things that have gone on that are wrong, including, at a minimum, adultery and murder. So God sends in Nathan, the prophet, and he, and he confronts David about this evil that he has done. David, you know, he thinks he's gone away with it. David's, David, this man that God used to kill Goliath and all that God has used David for, David seems to be blinded that it's okay. That he's manipulated things, he's used his power to manipulate things, and All's, all's covered up, all's good, let's just move on. I married the woman and, and off we go. But David sends in Nathan, the prophet, and basically tells David through some creative means because David was oblivious to it and wakes up David to the fact that he has sinned. And so now we come to Psalms 51. 
And then that first part of the passage there, it's going to say, and it talks about it, introduces it as Nathan, after Nathan came and talked to him. I want you to know that that first part is in the first verse. That's not a commentary. That's part of the scripture. So let's go to Psalm 51 and begin our reading with verse 1. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities." Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will treat transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted. Now I want you to focus. This becomes the focus part. We're going to spend some time on this next section, so listen close. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in birth offering. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem, and you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bowls on your altar. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. We want to focus in on the passage of scripture as we we talked about in verses 14 through 16. And what you'll notice in there is, it says in verse 16, you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in birth offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, and you may not be, and that's okay. There were lots of rituals that they had to go through. There are lots of acts of worship that they had to go to. And part of it was this concept of offerings and sacrifices that had to be given. They would go through these various ceremonies and sacrifice because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So there was this shedding of blood that would take place of these animals, spotless lamb. But we know that those were incomplete. We know that we, as we come and approaching just in a few weeks here, and as we approach Easter, that Jesus came as that spotless lamb for the, and shed his blood for the remission of our sins, for our forgiveness of our sins, because the, the blood of goats and lambs was insufficient. And we'll find something similar to that, this, this discussion we're talking about now, that, that's repeat of activity, that's, that wasn't what God was looking for. 
But here we have, in this passage in Psalms 51, he says, I'm not wanting these offerings. That's not my key focus. He's not looking for the ritual worship. He's not looking for the activities of worship. What's he looking for? He's looking for a broken and a contrite heart. And the words there, as we look at them, it's, it's, it's the spirit. It's the spirit. It's the, the heart. It's, there's this crushing. This is contrition. This contrite. There's this humbleness. See, as we ta- told you about the story of David, David had this arrogance about themselves, his entitlement about himself, that he was walking along and he was going through the activities of worship. But God wanted his heart. But see, then after God has your heart, it continues on in verse, Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. We've noticed, and maybe you've seen in the news, where there's this revival happening on the campus of Asbury. And some people want to have an experience revival. And they go down and they sense the presence of the Holy Spirit there. And there is something happening there in Asbury. Maybe something hasn't happened for a while. There's people that are going down and sensing the presence of God that maybe maybe have gone through the motions of, of religiosity. You know, you can be a religious drunk means you repeatedly do it. But they've gone through the motions, but, but something's different maybe happening down there in Asbury. But people go down there for the experience and they sense the Holy Spirit. But, but what is revival? You hear about it, but what is it? Some go down and they're, they're saying there's a revival, and then you'll see where people break out and they start praying. But in some places, revival breaks out, and in some places, revival doesn't break out. Of course, what is revival? So revival, if, we think, if you think about it, if you ever have to... You've heard of someone, we know of someone, that's had to be revived. It's brought back to life. It's a bringing it back to a refreshing and renewing. Sometimes we go to our revival service. We used to go to camp meetings and we go to things that revive us, encourage us back on the right path to do things and get back right with God and get closer to God and get re-energized. But see, we could go through the activity and we say, hey, let's get together and pray. But what do you pray about? Dear Lord, bring revival. Okay, what's, what's that mean? Does that mean let's get together where everybody sings a bunch of songs and they're all happy? That's a concert. Revival has to do with something changes. There's a reviving. There's even repentance. Remember, repentance, turn about face. There is a deepening in the walk. There is a coming back to God. There's people getting right. But it's a change in the heart. The, the revival is what people take home with them. My hope is people just don't go down to Asbury or wherever they go and they go for a great concert. Oh, I can sense the Spirit of God. But did you bring the Spirit of God with you when you left? 
And some might be going out and praying, God, send revival, God, we want revival, God, we want revival. But God doesn't want the, the steps, the religiosity. He wants the heart. Dear God, here am I. They used to say, the re- put a circle on the floor around you and let the revival begin with me. It's God, and we read in the rest of that passage, there's so, many, so much doctrine and so much things in Psalms 51, but, you know, created me a clean heart, O oh God. It starts on the inside and then that comes out. There has to be a change. There has to be something on the inside. You don't conjure up a revival. Maybe I told you, remember a little bit last week, I talked about, you know, Elijah up on the mountain. They were trying to get the fire to fall. And they were dancing around, those following the false god that get the fire to fall for their god, was, they were cutting themselves and doing everything. Elijah, the, the man of God, man obedient to God, he just went up and said a fairly simple prayer and the fire came. It wasn't the machinations and the activities. It was a heart of, of obedience that Elijah had. But revival is something that happens inside of us. And then it comes out. It's not in the, it's in, not in the rituals. It's not in the activities. It's not that we need to sing a particular song. And a a particular order. That scripture says that it is to be a broken and a contrite spirit. A broken and a contrite spirit. And then when we have that kind of spirit, we go, and then we can go boldly before the throne, and we'll look at that in a minute in Hebrews 10. I want you to think of the picture of, and maybe you remember the story of the woman that came and she had the spices. She's before Jesus, and they break open the spices, and she anoints Jesus. There's a song Gloria Gaither wrote called "Broken and Spilled Out," and it's "Broken and Spilled Out for Love of You, Jesus." She took her most precious possession that she had. And she broke it and spilled it out on Jesus' feet. And I believe the rest of the song talks about how Christ was broken and spilled out for us. He's the most precious possession. And he was broken and spilled out for us. And so the question becomes, if you want revival, if you want God to change your community, if you want God to change your family, if you want those things to change, then... It's not through the activities. It's through the condition of your heart. And the desire of your heart. It's in humbleness. It's in humbleness. There's various scriptures that we could look through, and it talks about he desires obedience rather than sacrifice. Obedience rather than sacrifice. It's why we talk oftentimes about presenting your body a living sacrifice to God. Holy and acceptable 
But that's what the question is, is, have we presented our hearts to God? I listened to one of the testimonies of someone that was down at the Asbury, and I was encouraged when I heard her say the words, surrender. She said, I surrendered things that I didn't even know I could surrender. She surrendered things that she didn't even know she could surrender. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer bowls on your altar. The sacrifices, let's back up verse 16 and 17. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. For me, as I look at that, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. It's like the sacrifices God likes is the ones of our hearts. And that ties it so beautifully to presenting ourselves a living sacrifice. That's what he wants. And then if we do that, we go over to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, and is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So you see how this all folds together? If we come to God desiring, if we come to God with the right attitude on our hearts, and we ask God to do something in our lives, it's going to have the effect of how we conduct ourselves and how we talk to people and relate to people. When revival happens, people start asking each other for forgiveness. People's attitudes start changing. There's reconciliation. There's restitution. That's revival. Revival's not the service. Revival's the change. And getting back with God, that's the revival. And at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, they tarried and they waited on God. They wanted it so much that they waited on God and allowed him to come. But see, their heart was in the right place. They were waiting on God. We've talked about guidance, and we talked about, I want to hear that still, small voice so bad that I'm going to lean in so I can listen. I want God's guidance and wisdom so bad that I'm going to pay attention. I want it so bad that I'm going to be patient and wait, which causes me to trust. And if I'm waiting and I'm trusting in God, I've decided, God, you know more than I do, so I'm going to basically... I'm basically surrendering my future to him. And I surrendered my heart. And I'm humble. And when I'm humble before God and ask him to do something in my heart, he does something, he does a change. 
And then that revival is not something I go to, it's something I carry with me. It's not something I have to go to to feel the Holy Spirit. I carry the Holy Spirit and it infects me and infects those that are around me so that it goes with me. It's a change. And then as God has changed our heart and we have the right attitude, isn't it amazing as we look at that passage that I can go boldly before the throne of God is... We just talked about being humble. We talked about being contrite, but because we have the right attitude, we can walk in in confidence and saying, I am not worthy. I don't feel worthy. But the blood of Jesus makes me worthy. That though I don't know everything that's in the Bible, and I don't understand all the different parts, but my heart is with God, and I'm devoted to God, and because of that, even though everybody else might look at me as unworthy, and I might think I'm worthy, the blood of Jesus makes me worthy, so that I can now go boldly through the throne of God, and He'll understand me. He'll care for me. And then when I thank, and thank God and praise Him, He will inhabit the praise of His people. Because we truly are his people. We truly want him. We're truly in the right attitude with God. We're wanting God to do something special in and through us. That impacts people more than the event. Now I'm not saying that what's going on in Asbury is not real. Far be it from that. I'm saying my hope as people go down there, their experience the event of the revival because there are people that's hearts are being changed that they allow their hearts to be changed as well and go in the right event. But may, may I dare say that Jesus isn't camped just down in Asbury. The Holy Spirit is available to us here. And we can have a change in our hearts and draw closer to Christ. So as a Christian, we want to draw nigh unto God. But if we have stepped back, if we backslidden and we've gone the wrong way, we need to turn back to God, like David did with a humble heart. But even those of us that are following Christ, we need to have that deeper walk. We know that there's this war going on, that's this conflict going on. We want to do right, but we can't. And we, the things we don't, we do. And we don't want to do it, but we tend to do it anyhow. We've talked about that that, 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 that warring within. So we surrender it all to God and say, God, I'm making a mess of this. I want to give it all to you. Here it is. Let's be standing together. Father God, I pray that you would be with those in the sound of my voice, whether here or wherever. Lord, we do desire a revival in our country. We need it. We need it in our churches. We need, Lord, change in our hearts. Change in how we approach things. And Lord, some of us might need to just be re-energized that we're on the right path and we're fighting the fight and we're leaning in and we're laying it all on the line for you. Would you inhabit our praise and help us be obedient to you Lord, I ask that you would search the hearts of the hearers. 
That, Father, if they're stepping outside of what God would have them to be, be doing, the Lord, that you might wake them up. Have you used the prophet Nathan to wake up David and say, you're on the wrong path. You need to wake up. Get back online. And they would do it with a humble heart. And Father, some maybe need and want to go that deeper walk, and they're having trouble with the way they conduct themselves. They're having trouble with the relationships. Maybe they got a bitter spirit. Maybe they're carrying anger and grudges around. Lord, we pray to the Lord that they would surrender that to you and surrender their hearts to you, and there would be a change in their hearts. There would be a repentance, a correction, and may we carry you in our hearts. And may you write your law on our hearts that we might listen to that still, small voice correcting us as we go through life, that we might be impactful to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.